This is Rabbi Neetlay Asarna and Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshay Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in Chicago, Illinois. Our episode features two sections and an interview. First, we'll have a discussion about the Uptown Cafe, where Anshay Shalom sends volunteers once a month. Second, we'll discuss the laws of Purim coming up very soon. And lastly, we will have an interview with a former resident of my office, Julie Meyer, who did programming for the show about six and a half years ago and happened to be in the neighborhood. Enjoy the show. So where are you off to tonight? I'm going to the Uptown Cafe. Oh, that means you must be recording this on a Monday. Yes, surprise. Um, so the show sends a delegation to the Uptown Cafe um, once a month, headed up by our Uptown Cafe team leader, Herb Eisman. And I went, I think, two months ago, and it was amazing, and I'm really excited to go back. So step back. What is the Uptown Cafe? The Uptown Cafe is run through JUF. Um, it is in Uptown. You'll be so surprised to hear, which means you get on the drive in Lakeview and you go one stop on the drive <laughs> to Wilson and you get off and there's street parking and it's super easy. And they serve dinner kind of restaurant style to a bunch of people who come in and find community and eat their meals there. All of the people who come and eat at the Uptown Cafe are Jewish. They are long-term clients of Ezra, um, which is one of the like poverty assistance organizations that the JUF supports. Um, and the food is provided by Zelda's. And what you do as a volunteer is you're not actually making the food, which that's, if you have soup kitchen experience in the past, that's kind of what you might be imagining. But actually, you're a waiter mm. when you go, and including a name tag and an apron and a thing to write down orders on. Because before, when you get there as a volunteer, they tell you what the menu is going to be and how we're going to serve it. And then you are assigned tables and clients come in and sit down at your table and you tell them what's on offer for the night and they'll tell you what they would like to eat and you bring it out and and make sure they have everything they want to eat and drink for the evening Um, and you get to schmooze and hang out which is really really nice and I had a lovely time last time with with talking to the customers at the cafe so who were Mm -hmm. Jews struggling with poverty receiving some sort of social work assistance from Ezra and who live in Uptown or live more broadly than that? or Most of the people who I spoke to last time lived like across the street, like really kind of very close by. Um, but I, I imagine there are people who come in from further away that I just, you know, you don't get to talk to everyone. You sure. Get to talk and to their profile, they were, these are immigrants or elderly people on fixed incomes or... Um, uh, it seemed like more elderly people and, and people with like some disabilities, um, people with, with disabilities and the, the people who assist them or their friends. There was a couple sitting near me who... Um, one person had a disability and the other person was their like friend who just brought them there every night. Um, and I thought that was like really cool and special. And to, to also feel like, okay, like you're, you're helping out this person, I'm helping out this person. Like we're all kind of kind of in this together. Wonderful. And the team of volunteers, was our shul the only group of volunteers that evening or were there other, like a different shul as well also? There were two people there volunteering who were not members of our shul. It could be that they just sort of said, oh, we want to go volunteer or um, it could be that they are kind of regular volunteers who go every Monday and you don't need to sign up 
with um, us. I mean, it's great to go with Anshay Shalom and you'll meet members of the show who you didn't know before. And, and it's a really good thing that our show does. Um, but you could also go. And I think they do brunch on Sundays even and um, and dinners during the week. And the customers, are they there every night or they come? They also come once a month or once a week? or Totally depends on the customer. There's also a community building element. It's There's also like, okay, you're like part of the Uptown Cafe community, right? Like, because you could just drop off food at people's doors. That would be another way to get food to people. Or you could open up a pantry. Like, um, the, the show volunteered earlier this year at the Ark. And the Ark runs, runs a pantry, um, but you don't when you go to pick up food items at a pantry, you don't then build, build a community, community right. around people who are sitting and eating together. Well, it's a much more holistic uh, way to serve a broader set of needs at the same time. That's really wonderful. So who can volunteer? Um, so anyone can volunteer over the age of 12, or 12 and over, I should say. Um, the only thing is that you have to not be a client of Ezra. They have some other stipulation about that. Um, and that you need to be able to write down or remember people's orders and then pick them up and bring them to them, including, you know, they serve hot soups and uh-huh. things like that. So, so there's certain physical steady. dexterity and strength and, and that's necessary to be able to do this effectively. Right? Yeah, and you're kind of on your feet for two hours also. I don't know that you necessarily would need to be on your feet for the whole two hours, but last time I did it, I definitely was. Mm-hmm. Uh, because also you kind of want to leave the chairs available for the clients. So. Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay, and is our shul typically looking for more volunteers each month, or is it like oversubscribed and we turn people away who want to join us? We are definitely always looking for more volunteers, and um, the dates for our visits to the Uptown Cafe are always in the bulletin. And the way to sign up is to email Herb Eisman, who will then do all the coordination. So it's actually very easy to sign up through the shul. Wonderful. Well, so uh, please join. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please join. So there's a holiday coming up. There is a holiday coming up. Actually, I, I went to uh, CJDS, Chicago Jewish Day School, last Friday as their you know weekly Friday Shabbat guest, Shabbat pre-Shabbat guest, and I um, reviewed with them. I told a story as, as as I typically do, and then I reviewed with them the four mitzvot of Purim, and I. I guess I learned this from some like letter that I found from Rabbi Patton that the four mitzvot of Purim all start with the letter M. So we went through and did the four mm. M's of Purim, and that that's how we uh, like reviewed the the, the mitzvot of Purim together. <laughs> so let's let's review them together now. We, we can say them in Hebrew and in English, but just remember the four M's, and then you'll stay on track. Great. The first M mitzvot of Purim is. Uh, the Megillah, Mikra Megillah. <laughs> There's a mitzvah to hear the Megillah. Uh, that's a mitzvah for men and for women to hear the entire Megillah read um, at night and again during the day. You know, it's sort of unusual uh, that uh, sort of a mitzvah to hear it twice, but that's that's discussed in the Talmud. That that's a pretty uh, core understanding of of how the mitzvah is fulfilled. And the uh, mitzvah to hear it read in, in its entirety from a from a scroll. Um, the reading can be divided amongst multiple readers, but the listening can't be, right? You have to hear... You have to hear every word. And you have to hear it, um, uh, like, not... In, it can't be limafreya. It can't be... Out of uh, order. Out of order, which means that if you miss the first uh, chapter, you can't listen and then hear the first chapter afterwards, right? You have mm-hmm. to hear... Or even if you miss one word... Then that happens not infrequently, right? Like the person next to you coughed, let's say. Um, so you missed a word or in the reading. Maybe even you yourself coughed. <laughs> wow, crazy ideas. Um, so you yourself coughed. The person next to you coughed. You missed a word. Um, so what should you do? Yeah. So you can't just say, oh, I'll just get that word later. What you can do is go back to the word 
you miss. Let's say you miss the first verse of chapter two. Go back. Do you want something to Pop quiz. Achar Great, very good. So you you you, you cough during the achar. Okay, you missed that that achar. So you read it yourself from your uh, printed chumash or from your 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 uh, iPhone, you know, Safari S, Megillah app, or from the screen, the projection, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You, you read that word yourself out loud, um, and then you catch up um, as long as it takes your own reading until you catch up to the Balkare, the reader, and then you stop and listen to him or her uh, read the rest. And that way, what, what's happened is the, the the word or the verses that you've read yourself, uh, you have, that's like uh, Megillah being read um, by, heart. by heart, like not from a, scroll. from a scroll. And then the rest you hear from the scroll. In other words, you can hear, it's okay if a minority of the Megillah, like a minority of verses are read by heart as long as a majority are read from the scroll. So if you miss, right. so fun fact: one of the scrolls that the shul owns is actually missing a word. I think Ooh, uh, not good. Not good. But it doesn't actually. If that were a Torah scroll, you wouldn't be able to fulfill a mitzvah with that Torah scroll. But in a Megillah scroll, we should in fact get the Megillah fixed. Yeah, we know. But which one, yeah, we know which one it is. I don't think we. I think we have it's enough. It's written in in pencil, even actually, <laughs> okay. um, into the Megillah. Um, you can you can be yote Megillah reading off of a scroll because most because only because one word is read by heart and the exactly. rest is read from a scroll. And that, and which is therefore, which is therefore okay, so, and, and therefore you cough. So you read a few wo- a word or a few words by heart, and then you uh, read the rest. Uh, you hear the rest from the scroll, and that's. I actually once heard Megillah. This was what well, this was uh, like ten years ago when we lived in Yushalayim, and Sarah was reading Megillah at a local women's Megillah reading, and I was staying home with Yonatan, and then I was, not Yonatan, <laughs> I was staying home with Noam, <laughs> who, was, uh, who was 18 months old or so at the time, or whatever, Great. and uh, I thought, I'll just go and hear Megillah reading afterwards, and I thought, I'll just go to the Stieblach in Katzman, and surely, I get, like, at any time of the night, I can find a Megillah reading. Uh, so I got to the Stieblach in Katzman, and it was like empty. That was I was wrong. Okay, I like wow. missed like there was like nothing there. So I went to the other. Let's just just Stieblach. It's like a shul complex uh, in Katzmon in and South if you Jerusalem. Ever want, like Mincha, they have a Mincha like every fifteen minutes from like from the, from the, the entire first time. time of, yeah, and yeah. same with have Shachrit from like you know the earliest time until pretty late after the latest time. <laughs> like every fifteen minutes, like like five prayer spaces all in this like central hallway, and they just rotate. A minion starts every fifteen minutes in one of these prayer rooms. So it's a pretty good place to get a minion, but a poor night, I guess, that year, whatever, not. So there's another minion factory in Zichron Moshe. Uh, it's in, far away. Yes. Uh, I took a taxi. <laughs> uh, Zichron Moshe is like in uh, one of the Haredi neighborhoods in North Jerusalem, next to like a really good bookstore, right? Or whatever. So I, I, I went to the, the minion factory there, and there w- were people gathering for a Megillah reading, but there was a fellow there who every time he missed a word, or maybe he felt the Balkari wasn't reading it correctly, he didn't want to just read that word by heart. He wanted to have every word read from a cloth. So he would get up, walk across the room to somebody who was sitting there with his own uh, cloth. cloth. He would read, like, you know, from that cloth. Okay. Until he Someone needs up. to buy that guy a cloth. <laughs> yeah, it was not going to be me. It was not then, but that was going to be. Anyway, so the point is you can't hear any verse out of order, uh, but sometimes you don't hear words, and this is how you just catch up on your own to where the Balkari is. And then it's, okay, one, one word or one verse or five verses, ten verses that you've read. Uh, I guess if you walk in and you miss, you know, the first chapter, so read that first chapter really, really quickly, and as long as you catch up by the third or fourth chapter, you're okay because most of the Megillah will be heard from the Balkari and only some of it will be quote-unquote by heart, meaning read from a printed text, not read from a cloth, from a scroll. 
So fun fact, um, the Megillah can be written on the cloth and read for the purposes of the mitzvah in any language. So the woman who wrote mine, Ethan's Ketuvah, is a friend of ours. She went to the University of Chicago, and she writes Megillah because a Megillah is the only type of cloth that can be written by a woman according to normative orthodox halakha. Um, and uh, so she writes Megillah and she sells them, but they're very expensive because she is very talented. And so she was commissioned to write one in English, which she is finishing up by huh. um, by people we know. Wow. Um, and, and so they've been exploring that this is, it's a, a rabbinic couple who commissioned it. And they've been trying to figure out like all of the different They've, no one's ever seen a Megillah written in a non-Hebrew yeah. language until now. That's wild. Um, okay. They have a they have a child who um, can't read, who's dyslexic, can't read Hebrew, uh. and so they want their child to be able to fulfill the mitzvah of Megillah wow. from a cloth. And so they they commissioned a cloth in English for him, which is truly amazing. Wow. And so they've been they're in wow. the process of generating halachic literature, like that they're composing about um, about this process because there's all sorts of things that um, you know, like does. Um, do certain words that we don't know what they mean. Literally, the the Gemara says like, yeah, right, Like, what is that? So, like, how do you translate those words? Or um, presumably, these are some sort of officials in the Persian bureaucracy, but we don't. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But we don't know who they are. And, and the Gemara literally says, like, we don't know what every word means. Amazing. Here's an example yeah, <laughs> from right, the Megillah. Right, right. um, but the halacha remains that you can yeah, that you yeah. can read the Megillah in any language cool. as long as it's written on a scroll in that amazing, amazing. language. So so that's like an interesting kind of Mikra Megillah project that's mm-hmm, happening mm-hmm. in the world right now. And they, they sent out some pictures recently. I'm happy to, if you're interested, I'm happy to forward them along. It's really, I, with their, they, they told me I'm allowed to. So. Oh, I'd love to see you. Yeah, 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 I'll send it to you. Awesome, awesome. Uh, okay, next next mitzvah uh, is the mitzvah of also starts with the letter M. Is oh, we should oh, probably sorry, yeah, just, sorry, we should probably mention that Megillah readings at Shul yes. are happening. Yes. Um, two at night in Shul in parallel. We have a pin drop um, reading that is for people who want a quick reading and a silent reading. If you, you have a terrible cough, you should not go to that reading. If you're um, Children are not good at containing their noise. You, you should not bring them to that reading. Um, and we have a noisier reading that happens with a microphone um, as per the halachic instruction of, uh, of Aaron Salvechik in the main sanctuary. Um, and that one will have kind of more fun things. We'll have um, activity books for kids and we'll have a PowerPoint and we'll have, uh, as I mentioned, the reader will be reading through a microphone um, and we'll make lots of noise every time Haman's name is read. And But importantly on that note, I should, by the way, say that even though we like stamp out the name of Haman, you still have to hear every word in the Megillah. <laughs> so you need to both hear the word Haman and then stamp. Yeah, and often the reader will repeat Haman's name if if the stamping out is particularly boisterous. Yeah. Uh, and again, it is a halachic Megillah reading fulfilling the obligation of the people who listen. And so that all, you don't have to bring your child there if your child, like, there's, a, there's no, I don't think there's anything educationally valuable in making a child suffer who can't be quiet or and certainly nothing valuable in having a child there who is going to be disturbing others. It's just not like wait a few years and, and they'll get older. And, and, then and there are other per mitzvot that are much more child friendly yeah. than Megillah, which we will talk about. Um, we'll talk about those other mitzvot soon, but I just wanted to continue. Yeah, so running. we're trying to make it like, you know, that a child who's capable of being mostly quiet will be able to be at this noisier, more boisterous reading and be mostly quiet. But if a kid can't be mostly quiet, then like, Wait a year, wait a two years, and and then and then try again. I think that's is really no no uh, 
like no need for anyone to to suffer. It's not not not, edu- not no educational value. I think in just being absolutely. Yeah. And if you think you're going to be in and out with your child, then you won't have fulfilled the mitzvah of Megillah reading either. And then there's really not much of a win for anybody. Right. So we are going to also have a, two later readings. There's going to be a Perfect. 9 p.m. reading. The time was just confirmed. Uh, back at the shul also for those who are. Un- unable to, you know, with kids or at work or whatever, unable to hear the reading Bisman right at the time, at the earliest time. And then there's going to be a reading by women for women at our home later in the evening at 10. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can get everyone to bed, even if you have a super high power job, whatever, hopefully you're home, <laughs> but you can be back in Lakeview by 10. And so that reading is, uh, again, by women and for women. I guess this is one of the, you know, really, uh, you know, the, the lots of, you know, creative ritual opportunities for women that, exist in our shul that have been invented in the last 40 years in modern Orthodox communities. And uh, they have, I think, great value, um, but they are invented rituals that we've developed in the last 40 years or so. This is a real mitzvah that that women are doing for other women, like actually fulfilling their obligations. And so I think that's a really, um, you know, like a special thing. And I'm very proud that the shul sponsors it and fosters that. Uh, And then Purim morning, there's a uh, conventional reading for men and women read by a man in the shul, and then there's a women's reading that takes place in Shlensky, and that's also a very old, uh, uh, old whatever, that's been around for like over a decade or so, at, at least yeah. in, in our in our community. So, and if, if in, during the daytime, neither of those readings work for you, be in touch with us. There's other readings happening around Chicago. I, I've, I've done a little bit of like Megillah reading, Shad Chanut already. <laughs> um, oh, I work on the South Side, da, da, da. How do I hear Megillah during the day? Um, I'm, and we're happy to, we're yeah, happy to yeah, help you figure yeah. out how to fulfill your obligations on a day where your kids are in school and you might be at work and all of that. Okay, so on to the next mitzvah of the day. Okay, Mishlach Manot. Uh, this is the mitzvah to give a gift of food or drink to a friend. So Mishlach Manot, the Gemara notes, it's it's um, like portions. So it's at least two food items given to one person. So minimally, that could be uh, Snapple and an apple. Okay, <laughs> it could be a uh, you know I don't know a steak and a beer. I don't know, okay? <laughs> yeah. like two things uh, at to, to at least one person. And uh, you know the custom has developed to give uh, little food gift baskets or something big or some, some very elaborate, some very simple. The basic mitzvah is actually can be very, very simple. I think, uh, you know, some people put invest a lot of creativity and they have themed mishlach manot and they're very elaborate food that they can bake themselves and cook themselves. And that's that's like beautiful and wonderful enhancement of the mitzvah. I think there's also something great about just like simplifying the mitzvah because after all, Purim is a month before Pesach and who wants lots of food <laughs> delivered to their house a month before Pesach? Not necessarily the healthiest food even, uh, you really have to, it's like a big burden to, some of us mm-hmm. feel a burden to eat food that's in our house uh, that, that, that weighs in <laughs> some of us, leftovers or, you know, so like the minimal uh, fulfillment of the mitzvah is also, Don't give is, to is, the walking is, is also okay. Uh, I, that was not the intention of, I, I greatly appreciate all gifts of food that I receive. I'm just saying it's also a responsibility, I feel, to, to, to eat it, okay? Um at any rate, so have, it's really. Do you like, not feel Rahmanas for orphaned food, like a little, like a, you know, like a French fry on someone's plate that doesn't like call to you, or? And it's not about the food. There's like environmental concerns oh, okay, that sorry. I find okay. driving that food waste. Okay, um, but not like oh the poor French fry. Like no, that's not really what it's about for me. Okay, fine. <laughs> Anyways, um, so a nice way to help everyone feel included in this mitzvah, where we're also not you know bending over backwards to give out tons of tiny little things, would be to participate in the shul's mishloch manot fundraiser, which is a lovely way to support the shul and also to make sure kind of everyone gets mishloch manot. 
without feeling like, oh no, there's 350 member units in the show. Okay, I need 350. Like that feel, could feel very overwhelming. <laughs> right. So the way that works is you the money goes to the show, and the show uses that money to and the time and of volunteers to create um, and donated items as well to create these um, sort of somewhat nicer um, aesthetically pleasing uh, gift baskets and then it comes from everyone is given to everyone uh, there's been some you know interesting discussion whether or not that actually technically fulfills your mitzvah of Mishra Achmanot if it's done in this collective way from everyone to everyone what have you actually given to anyone so I would just say I think the safest thing to do is like participate in the Shul's Mishloch Manot there are other organizations as well like the a lot of the day schools do this the yeshiva does it like there are a lot of organizations that do these collective Mishloch Manot projects and then which, which is again it's more efficient right because you get like one nicer thing instead of lots of little things and you have to support local institutions and you're supporting local institutions so it's more efficient insofar as the money that's spent on Mishloch Manot like less of it is going to like Hamatash and that'll be thrown out and more of it is going to like supporting these like really vital communal institutions and maybe like nicer gift baskets and then um, if you want to just just to be safe like you give a Snapple or an Apple to like one friend and then at least you know you've done the mitzvah in a basic way and a really nice thing to do is to I, you know everyone has a coworker who's Jewish but you don't know how much they're like really doing the Purim thing or like a neighbor who you know like for sure they're Jewish and for sure Purim doesn't mean anything to them so it's a nice gesture to those Absolutely. people to say I see you I, you know and, and I know that you're my like Jewish neighbor and I yes. want to how to share this holiday with you it's a wonderful holiday to share it's a very I think it's a it's a you know we haven't talked about like the themes of Purim I think are very very deep and very profound and it's a very I think in that way a, a particularly um and, and the celebration of Purim within a community is very joyous and, and, and life-enhancing. So to include others in the celebration of the day, it's a very particularly appropriate um, gesture, I think, to make. You know, it's not like, uh, oh, I, you know, it's, it's Yom Kippur tomorrow. Let me, like, you know, afflict you. You know, like, this is much, this is much, uh, uh, much more. It's a good holiday to include people in. <laughs> yeah, so so, so Mishloch to neighbors is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing uh, as well. And, and the origins, by the way, of, of Mishloch um I mean, of all the mitzvot of Haram, but, but the, it, you see it happen actually a few different times in Tanakh. Like, um, this is not the only time oh, in Tanakh yeah, where people right, give right. gifts to each other. My favorite example of it is that in um, in Ezra and Nehemiah, they, like, rediscover Rosh Hashanah. Right, right. And then they're like, oh, what do we do? Okay, let's give gifts to each other. Um, so they there also yeah. and so th- this happened actually as part of the celebration in the time as described in the ninth in the ninth chapter of the book of Esther they kind of celebrated the joyous event that had transpired for them by giving these gifts so it's uh, in addition to just a nice way to celebrate Purim you're actually reliving like what right. they as did as Purim Shushan. was established they sort of built on a model of like what does it mean to have a Jewish festival one like meaning of a Jewish festival is let's like shared food like that's sort of paradigmatic of a Jewish festival. So as this one is established, that model is adopted. I think also I would say part of the Purim story is about the Jews coming together in solidarity and self-defense. And so like that's how you build that community by mm-hmm. giving gifts of food. So it's especially appropriate to reach out to the less affiliated Jewish coworker or whatever neighbor uh, because I think that kind of Jewish solidarity is really core to what the holiday yeah. is about. And one other like Book of Esther food thing is that it's it really ties into the arc of the book that oh, yeah. you start out at the beginning with the Jews all going to Achashverosh's like crazy um, back and all yeah back and all right exactly where like he wants his wife to come out and show off and she refuses right all and of they're these, eating like, on the kale of the base of Migdash it's an assimilationist. Right. Uh, 
imperialist, triumphant uh, party, we participated in to our great shame. And the mm-hmm. end of the holiday were like sharing food with one another yeah, and nice. building Jewish community and uh, and in, in a way that 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 shows good values through food. Yeah, yeah, and so that continues the next. Uh, mitzvah of Purim is to have a sudat, to have a meal on, on Purim day. So start that meal before sunset. But again, that's, that's also, that's the paradigm of a biblical holiday. You have a festive meal. So Purim, the rabbinic, first rabbinic holiday built on that biblical paradigm, we have a festive meal. And then also this theme you just mentioned of the day of Jewish solidarity and coming together and, and being with one another. So a meal is like the best, what better way, what better way to, to do it than with a meal. That That's how we, we come together and it's a great, a really appropriate um Way to stop that. Like, that could also be done if you're at work until after sunset. Again, like it's a rabbinic holiday, people go to work. Uh, if you're not going to be able to have um, a festive meal, you can have, you know, like before we'll sunset. We have bagels and stuff in the We morning. have bagels and locks and all the toppings, you know, at, at following <laughs> Shachrit. So you come to Shachrit, you can hear the Megillah read. Wash. Wash, have a bagel, make a mozi, bench with the alanisim, and then you fulfill that obligation even at the beginning of the day because you you had that as your festive meal. And it's a pretty festive environment in Shul on Purim morning. Everyone's kind of sitting around in all the chairs they can find and, you know, having their bagels. I think it's a a fun uh, fun morning. And then the the final mitzvah, which Rambam says is the most important, should be the most expensive mitzvah of the day, is... Is making sure that everyone can have a meal. Yeah, matanot le'evyonim, gifts to the poor. So matanot le'evyonim, so that's literally at least two money gifts or, or, or gifts of some kind to two different poor people that also should be fulfilled on Purim Day. So if you, like, have your, you know local poor person you know about, you can give them money directly on Purim Day. We also partner with the Ark to distribute money on Purim Day. We collect cash in shul on Purim night and again on Purim Day. And after I count up that cash, I will call the ark and say, we've raised whatever it is, $1,000, $800, whatever it may be. And I'll let them know that the check is coming. I have the cash in my hand and they will then distribute that money on our behalf to their clients on Purim Day. So, And that's, a, that's an efficient way to make sure that the money can be distributed on Purim. The shul also takes some of the money we collect to the Purim fundraiser and use it uh, for that purpose as well. So that's another way that, again, through that participation in that Purim fundraiser, some of that, that money is also going to the poor. But in general, like this should be the most expensive. So whatever you spend on your meal, on your suda, on your costume, on your mishloch menot, <clears throat> whatever, you know, on, on tipping your Megillah reader, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> but whatever you spend on Purim, at least that much should be spent on gifts to the poor because that's, again, that's about, that is also a core part of the biblical paradigm, like there's a stucca element in all of the biblical um, holidays. It's there in the Torah. Uh, and this theme of solidarity amongst the Jews is built by this kind of um, charitable enterprise. Yeah. I mean, Matanot Levinim is also mentioned explicitly in the Megillah. Yeah, correct, correct, correct. Uh, there's a, a beautiful custom that arises out of Matanot Levinim. In general, um, Halakha is like a little bit anxious about the, the the image of Jews only giving money to Jews. So Matanot Levinim is only fulfilled in a technical sense by giving money to Jews. But there's a beautiful custom that even in neighborhoods like ours, you can really easily fulfill, which is carry around a bunch of dollar bills. And on Purim Day, anyone who asks, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not only a way to like feel like really in the spirit to feel that way all day, even if you're going to work. Okay, so you're in the loop and you're downtown. You're going to pass by people who need that money. Um, and on Purim Day, don't just walk by, like notice. Yeah, um, yeah, and then yeah. the other thing is we had mentioned kind of Megillah might not be the best way for your child to necessarily participate in the holiday, but this version of Matanot Levionim actually might be. Um, and along with um, including them in any kind of gift giving to friends and, and teaching them about the 
those mitzvot as maybe even the primary ones or the first ones that you expose your children to, as opposed to Megillah reading, which is 10 chapters of the book of Esther listened to in silence, um, might be more like engaged and, and, and equally important, if not more. I mean, the rabbi would say more important. Right, mitzvot. right. In, in, in neighborhoods where kids, uh, Jewish kids don't go to school on Purim, so like the streets are filled with kids actually delivering the Mishlach Manot to their neighbors walking by themselves or walking with parents. I think even if... Even, do it at the bus stop, you know? Do it at the bus stop. You could, right, exactly. While you're waiting for the school bus, you can, your children can be giving Mishlach Manot to their friends and to other uh, parents, right? Um, you can, after the school day is over, you should, we have a couple hours before sunset when it's still mm-hmm. possible for these mitzvahs. So your kids can give Mishlach Manot baskets to people who live in your building uh, or like maybe one trip to like one elderly friend or something or somebody, I don't know, whatever it might be and like give Mishlach Manot, you know, have your kid be in, child, children be involved in, the, in that mitzvah. We should also mention um, one other mitzvah, which is not necessarily a mitzvah on the day of Parm itself, but that we actually read about in the Torah this past week in, in Parshat Shkalim, um, which is Machatzina Shekel. Um, and the opportunity, so obviously there's no, unfortunately, there's no Beit HaMikdash anymore to send our half shekel to as the yearly kind of census and the head tax. Um, which was used for the upkeep of the... Right, so. right. I mean, good, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm not. I'm not anti-taxes. <laughs> but um, but it wasn't only to find out how many people. It was also like the money was used. It had like dedicated. It was like a. Like dedicated funding stream for certain core base of Mikdash expenses. For sure. And it meant that everyone was kind of then involved in those in those expenses. You would feel like every year I've donated this much to like this building. Yes. I have a share in it. Yes. Which is a very important thing to feel vis-a-vis the Beta Mikdash. But anyways, unfortunately, uh, you know, due to our sinful behavior, we have, we don't have the Beta Mikdash now. Um, but we still have a, a kind of commemoration to the Machatzida Shakal. Um, and that is performed um, with... Uh, Silver dollars or half dollars? I don't. I forget exactly. Half what dollars, right? Yeah. The point right, is, like, it should be a half the currency. Yeah, the custom is right. Whatever the currency is, use a half of it. Okay, because it's not actually the half shekel. It's just the whatever the shekel to commemorate yeah. the half shekel. So we use half dollar coins, which you can purchase from the shul and then donate um, yes. right away. And then, so what you would do yeah. is you you lift up. The, we'll have like a packet of them. Basically, mm-hmm. you'll lift it up. You'll um, you can't minimally lift it up, say, this is in commemoration of the... And by lifting it up, you're making an acquisition on it. And then you say, this is an in commemoration of the half shakel, put it back down. Ideally, when you put it back down, you would also make a donation. Yeah, or before you pick it up, pay for before, it. Right, before <laughs> you pick it up, pay for it, right? That's put a few, do- put a few dollars in. Yeah, and this yeah. is done before Purim starts on um, Tanya Esther. And the, like, as people arrive from Mincha, Tanya Esther will have a setup. Even better. <laughs> if we feel our act together, we'll have yeah. it up the chakra. Uh, certainly, Minchatai will have it set up so you can do this uh, this, this custom uh, prior to Purim. Yeah. Uh, so, Freilchen Purim, everybody. And thank you for listening. We are here with ASBI alumna, Julie Meyer, uh, who was the first person I ever hired, I think. Wow. <laughs> and uh, worked here for several months as our program director and uh, was back in Chicago. And we wanted to grab her to see what she's been up to for the past six and a half years. So Julie, <laughs> welcome back to ASBI. Welcome to Schlensky Studios. Formerly known as your office. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? It, I'm great. It's really good to be back. So, so what have you been doing the last six and a half years? Maybe tell us like the the three minute version rather than the you know the like two hour version. It's a lot of years. So like, what are you it's up to now? Where are you working? Where are you living? Um, when I left Chicago, I went on a little trip to Poland to go back to my roots. 
Um, and then from Poland, I went to D.C., where I've been for the past six and a little bit years. Um, I work at an advocacy organization that focuses on economic inequality and access to democracy. We want to decrease economic inequality and increase. Oh, that's good. That's important because that. that, that thank <laughs> yes. you for clarifying. There are a lot of organizations out there, and and uh, I endorse that alignment of um, good, good. Okay, great. Uh, so, what's the name of your organization? Sorry, it's called the Hub Project. Great. And your role there? What do you do? Um, I'm the associate director of policy and research. Uh, I try to make things that we advocate for factually accurate, oh. uh, <laughs> and you know the right policies to be fighting for. So, how did your time at ASBI set you up for success? at the Hub Project? <laughs> um, my, well, ASBI was my first job out of college. Rabbi Wachenfeld was my first boss, a very good one. So he taught me what to look for in a very good boss. Um, that I'm, bl- I'm, very blushing, I'm blushing, I'm <laughs> blushing. <laughs> um, also, Rabbi Fold was my first landlord. Really? That's hilarious. That, uh, please remind me of, of that. P- I component. came to Chicago very quickly um, and did not have a place to live yet. And you very generously, you and Sarah very generously welcomed me into your home. Oh, we, we didn't make you pay you though. You yeah, did not okay, make all right. That, that, <laughs> okay. Did that set you up for understanding how landlord relationships work going forward? <laughs> he was much nicer than any landlord I've had in the past. Yeah, okay. And you were, you were, you were, you were a very, very welcome house guest. Um, <laughs> uh, and I guess just for full uh, disclosure, Julie was our student at Princeton, so we, the, the relationship was much older than. Um, that's showing up. And, I was uh, going to say, you don't house us. No, no, no. But you, you also came to Chicago after uh, Yonatan was born. So Yonatan, um, Yonatan has taken over what used to be our guest bedroom. So it's a little... Uh, I'll take that up with Yonatan. Okay, yeah. So you can take it up with Yonatan. <laughs> amazing, amazing. So so you should know, I mean, sorry, now that like, ASBI is a stepping stone to many great... Uh, uh, I see that. Great things. Uh, so to any, I mean, at your back, any uh, special memories, things that you miss about this community, things that you've taken with you, um, just about not just necessarily about the job, but about uh, the community and working here and living here? I think um, <clears throat> I would recommend that everyone starts off working <laughs> at a show that they go to um, as their way into a new community. It was just a really welcoming way to start like my life as an adult. Um, I mean, it was my job, it was my job to get to know people, and everyone was very, very welcoming and made it easy to do that. Um, and that remains the case today. When I come back and visit every time, people are so friendly and welcoming and happy to see me and, like, remember very specific details about me in a very <laughs> nice way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just, I think what what ASBI has is very special. The The relationships built across the community across the Chicago Jewish community, but also specific to these four walls. Um, People are just nice and welcoming and will accept you where you are. And I was trying to figure out exactly where I was at the time. Um, And, you know, they help people here help me do that. That's so nice. Um, Any kind of main takeaways from your life in D.C. that you think we should implement at the show? (laughs) Uh, to, in- to increase access to democracy and decrease inequality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's a lot from DC that we should be taking anywhere else right now. Oh, okay, good to know. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, thank you so much thank for coming in, us. and uh, I hope you continue to visit us frequently. We promise not to interview every time you come back. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but really, thanks for stopping by, and, and great to see you. It's always good to be back here. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Straw Hat. Thank you, as always, to our producer, Haley Leventhal, for all she does to make this podcast happen. If you loved what you heard and you want to send us positive feedback, shoot us a text, email, talk to you in Shalom Shabbat. If you didn't love it and you want to complain, um, you should definitely go to King Ahasuerus' palace and plot his death and send him a letter and see what happens from there. It gets exciting, I promise. Um, Happy Adar and happy upcoming Purim.